Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. All right. Oh, hang on one second. Hold on. I got it. I'm drinking coffee this morning. Good morning, everybody, because I say good morning. Good morning. And I say good morning because we are doing something a little bit different on the show today. Yes. We're usually night owls, party animals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we here. usually do the show in the evening and then usually go out and have a couple drinks we somewhere. Do. Yeah, if we can. You know, sometimes we're all like tired and lame. <laughs> right. Well, and th- so this day is not like that because instead of us recording, say, at nine o'clock in the evening, we're recording at nine o'clock in the morning. Because somebody... Me thought it would be a good idea to have a whole Sunday with her family. Yeah, I know, right? Somebody's got a baby that she uh, wants to spend time with and a husband down she loves. To bed. Anyway, uh, hi everybody. I'm Jack. I'm Allison, and this is a uh, special morning edition of Script Shop. Ta-da, so, good morning. We have everybody. no, we have no way of knowing how this is going to go. <laughs> we don't know what's going on with us. Things are already on a weird tack to begin with. Uh, yeah, it's like it's like the access is just. <laughs> hmm And we're also Frankless again. Frank couldn't have made it back in for this morning stuff, so oh, Frank. So there's nobody to keep us on track. We're feeling weird and groggy, and we're drinking coffee as much as we can. So we're going to see what happens. Yeah, this is going to be really we're interesting. We're going to turn into toddlers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so here we go. Um, what are we talking about? Ooh, okay. This is Script Shop. Um, this oh is our gosh. show. Oh, my gosh. Let's explain the show. That's a great start. So uh, welcome to Script Shop. Script Shop is a podcast where we talk to screenwriters about the scripts that they've written and why they love them and why they're the only person in the whole world who could have particularly written this script. I can't believe we forgot to actually describe what the, <laughs> the show, show is. That's how. That's the sort of start we're off to right now. So if you have written something and you want to get it to us because it matters to you, go on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit and you can send us your work. That's right. You can uh, get it to us on Script Shop Show. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you can continue the conversation beyond yeah. the episode. Yeah, and you can promote things to your friends and say, hey, check out this person who wrote yes. this really great script. And you can read our scripts. ScriptShopShow.com slash scripts is how you read the work, in theory, before we have the interview. Mm-hmm. So you can uh, then be really uh, into the show. And have the, an informed experience. Have an informed experience. And our guest today is Mark Renshaw, mm-hmm. who wrote a script called Cyborn. Cyborn is, listen to this, four pages. It's a four-page, literal, flashing-before-your-eyes Sentient robot short. Yes. And we're very excited about talking with Mark about it. I am Cyborn. You are Cyborn. I am Cyborn. I'm Allison Robot. <laughs> that's a that's an interesting name. <laughs> Alleybot. That's, Alley who I that's am. much better. <laughs> uh, we're also on Patreon. We're on Patreon.com. Give us your readies. A website where you can give money because you like the work that people are doing. That's a, I mean, I okay. My robot was just sounding like a creepy little monster. Yeah, right. (laughs) 
Send us money on Patreon. <laughs> so, yeah, because you obviously respect the work that we're doing right now, and you'd like to compensate <laughs> us financially. So certainly that's uh, that's a choice for you to make uh, this time around. All right, we should probably stop wasting Mark's time, right? Yeah, He's let's, been, I mean, I completely agree. Mark's let's talk to Mark. Very nice and, and patiently waiting uh, from across the Atlantic. Mark Renshaw, hi. How are you? Hello, everybody. Yay. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks a lot for uh, coming on with us. No problem. And um, uh, for those of you at home, there's no problem with this signal. I'm just British. <laughs> That's good. We got to get that out of the way right away. Oh man! So you're calling us from uh, Manchester. You were saying, were you born there originally? Around, uh, yeah. I was born in St. Helens, which is a part of Liverpool, uh, and now I live and work in Manchester, which is only um, a few miles away. What is it uh, you do for a living in, in Manchester? Um, I business software development is my day job. Uh, writing is my passion. Ooh. How long have you been writing? Um, well, more or less all my life. I used to, at school and when I started work, I would uh, write stories starring people that I worked with. Mm. But it's since about 2014 that I thought uh, maybe I should try and do something a bit more with my hobby. Mm-hmm. Has a, as far as what you write, uh, is, was it scripts with people that you work with or was it just uh, stories in general? It was just stories, spoofs. So I do like a Star Trek episode with uh, starring people at work or a spoof of Star Wars. <sighs> it was just anything really, yeah. This is hilarious. Did you ever share it with them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. The, I used to send it around the office and people would like start bugging me and saying that they wanted to be in the next one. <laughs> did you ever did, like? Did you ever have to kill off like a red shirt coworker, and uh, they'd get upset about it? Oh, I do that all the time. Anyone that annoyed me would just be get a, get red get killed off in some gruesome way. <laughs> oh, good, that doesn't sound like an HR problem at all. That sounds great. <laughs> well, so uh, has it always been uh, science fiction type stuff for you, as far as what you enjoy writing? Um, I like writing the fantastical. So anything you know, I like using real people and real emotions, but I like putting them in in fantastic situations, whether it's sci-fi or whether it's fantasy or whether it's just like a supernatural horror. I've always been one that likes to take real-life situations and real people, but, or, um, or realistic people anyway, and, and put them in a strange situation. Um, that, that's what's always attracted me about my work. Did you do a lot of fantasy reading when you were a kid or anything? Oh, yeah, yeah, loads of books, you know, uh, science fiction, Isaac Asimov, stuff like that. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Fantasy, Terry Brooks, Terry Pratchett, you know, um, I've read thousands of books. Mm-hmm. Terry Pratchett, who co-wrote uh, probably one of my all-time favorite books, which I always bring up on the show as many times as I can. He and Neil Gaiman, who wrote Good Omens. That's, I, right. that's my favorite book. It's about to be a TV show soon. Is it really? Uh, yeah, I believe Amazon is doing it. I'm dying to I see it. I still have it to read because you gave hmm. it to me to read months ago when baby olive was a small baby olive yes maybe i should take it with me on my vacation to the bahamas coming up well there you go that would be an option uh mark when you're uh when you're writing these things about uh your co-workers what's uh is it just uh, inspired by things that have actually happened during the day or are you taking the like the like you talked about the real human emotions and just dumping these people whose personalities you know into a fantastic situation yeah, if I write a spoof, and I haven't wrote a spoof for a while, but if I write a spoof with uh, co-workers in mind, I'll usually put them in, their personalities, and if something's going on in the office, then usually that'll end up in there. So if there's like, um, so if there's like redundancies, or if there's like a, uh, if there was like a big like staff party and someone got fired, all that stuff, basically anything that I witness can and will end up in a story. 
Honestly, it sounds really smart to be doing those spoofs because a lot of times writers need to be able to write in the style of a show currently. Mm. And if they're basically interviewing for a show, you may have to write, you know, write your episode, send it in, and it's got to match what that show's doing. So, you know, if you've been writing like a Star Wars spoof or some other kind of spoof, then you might already really be tuned in to writing into the themes of of certain shows already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you speak the language of, of the show, yeah. Yeah. And plus, Mark, it's got to be a good exercise, right? If you're doing that on a regular basis, you're just sort of keeping that mental muscle flexing. Well, he said he hasn't been doing it in a little bit. Oh. I think. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I still write, I mean, I don't write spoofs anymore of people I work with, but um, I do write, like, occasionally I'll do a spec script of, like, I don't know if you guys have heard of Doctor Who, so I'll, yes. I've written a yeah, I'm, sorry, doctor, doctor, yeah. I'm sorry, Doctor. Doctor. I'm sorry, Doctor. Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 so, go on, Mark. Episodes, uh, you know, occasionally I can. I can usually if I show if I really like a show like Buffy or um, you know um, any show that I really get into, um, I find I can write it. You know, I'm pretty good at picking up the the characters and the nuances and uh, and the storyline. So I'll, I'll just for a bit of fun for myself. Um, I'll write, you know, a, a spec script of, of an existing TV show, mm-hmm. and that's the way I kind of keep my muscles flexed. But th- but then I'll write original stuff as well on the back of that. What kind of things have you been writing lately? Um, I've done a lot on Cyborn, so I wrote that short script a couple of years ago, and then and then it won a big uh, competition, and everyone was saying, "Where's the feature? Where's the feature?" So I last year I spent the whole year writing a feature version. Oh, um, you're kidding! Ooh. Yeah, it's a feature version, yeah. Um, it's not an android though. He's a cyborg, and he's a cyborg private private detective. Um, and uh, I finished writing that around about September October. Um, entered it into quite a few competitions, and I'm very pleased to announce exclusively on your show that as of this week, it's in the quarterfinals of the We Screenplay Contest and the Creative Screenplay Writing Contest. All right, so well, congratulations, well, Mark. That's excellent. Good for you. Yes, that's exciting. <laughs> Well, so what was it like to – we'll definitely get into the four pages of Cyborn that you sent us here. But like in terms of how easy was it to expand the story into more of a feature length? It was quite a challenge actually because it's like four pages and as you probably – your viewers will probably see soon, it's quite fatal. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did to expand it was instead of him being a sentient android, I made him a cyborg. Yeah. A cyborg. Um, and I turned him into kind of like a noir detective. Um, uh, he calls himself a private AI, um, and it's very early on in the, to kind of like reflect the mood of the short. Very early on in the feature script, he gets infected with a virus that starts to slowly shut him down, and he and he kind of like has these flashbacks to earlier on in his life before he loses the memories. Mm-hmm. And then the whole feature of him came kind of like trying to solve all his cases to figure out who's infected him and why. I really, I really dig this, and plus, then you get to write sort of a sci-fi futuristic thing with a, with a cybernetic organism type character, and then also do it in like the style of like a, a noir detective investigation, right? Yeah, so it's very much it is a it is a like a sci-fi comedy drama, um, very much in the style of kind of like Red Dwarf and Douglas Adams, you oh. know, with a bit of Terry Pratchett thrown in, you know. Okay, so not so much hard-boiled as as like more of yeah, having fun with it a little bit more. Yeah, have fun with it because noirs. Noir's kind of like a niche market, and it's not for everybody. So I thought, rather than make it really deadly serious, there is drama in there, but, you know, have a bit of fun with it, make it a bit lighter, a bit more accessible. That sounds really, really fun. Um, when you submitted to the competition, what, what is that competition like? What, what kind of um, 
What kind of things are they accepting? What happens after you winning this competition? Uh, do you mean the one that I won the slab on? Mm-hmm. The yep. Yeah, so, the, oh, so I got a cash prize for that. Um, and I also got to go to the Robert McGee um, story seminar in London for three days. So that was pr- pretty good. And now the, comp- now the runners of that competition are kind of promoting me and my work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I am getting more calls. I'm getting more options, you know, things like that, uh, agreements. Oh, that's, um, that's exciting. But, you know, it's just sometimes it's a bit of a roll of a dice because there's thousands of people that enter these competitions. You know, there's a lot of competition out there. How does it feel to go from, you know, working your day job, um, being focused basically on your work with software, and then, um, you know, having this other thing kind of going on at the same time where you're winning this competition, you're getting calls, there's the potential for deals to be made? It's tricky uh, because... My day job really takes up a lot of my, my time. Um, I only get a chance to write on a weekend. And I used to use that as an excuse not to try, you know. And then I realized that even if I spend one hour a week, it's better than nothing. So what I do during the week when I'm working is I'm always thinking, I'm always planning. And then when I do sit down on a weekend, and maybe it's two or three hours, I know exactly what I'm going to write so I can be as productive as possible with those, those, that time. Uh, and, you know, those pages add up. They really do. How how uh, I, I know you said you don't really write about your coworkers anymore, but in terms of the fact that you worked with you work with business software and you're in sort of a computer day to day, how much how helpful was any of that in writing like this story about a, a robot accessing its memories as it's as it's dying? Was that helpful at all? Um, not there's a little bit because sometimes I'll come across a bit of tech um, that's kind of like new out there, and I'll kind of think well a bit black mirror, I'll think, well, mm. what will that tech be like in, say, 10, 20 years? Um, but quite often it means quite doing a lot of research, you know, about cybernetics and things like that, and kind of digging up stuff that I've read from uh, books and kind of applying that as well. It's a bit of a mixture, really. That's interesting. I like the idea of you, like, being able to recognize a piece of software or a piece of technology that we're using and then think about the creep factor, the way it's going to, you know, evolve with us as we continue as a society and the way it's going to potentially get into other uh, other forms of our life that we're not thinking about right now. I think that's really interesting that you can think down the road like that. Yeah, and um, I think it, thinking about it now it is a theme in the last few years. Um, I've been looking at our reliance on of technology and at the rise of artificial intelligence. Um, and that has been sneaking into my work quite a lot recently. So it must be playing on my mind, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, a real, that's really interesting. Well, in this one in particular, the short, Cyborn, why did you even start writing this one? Um, it was a challenge. Um, so there's a website called Simply Scripts. Um, and on the forums, they do this thing called the One Week Challenge. Mm. And they give you set criteria and you've got a week to come up with a story and then uh, everyone who enters enters anonymously and we all read each other's work and, and we put comments on it and then we vote for the one we want uh, and Cyborn won on this particular occasion and the criteria was just a very short script five pages or less uh, and you had to pick two ob- a location and an object and I picked there was like several on offer and I picked a church mm-hmm. uh, and a set of dice and that's all I had. I had I had five pages church and a set of dice and I don't know why, but somehow Cyborn came out of that. <laughs> I think that's a, that's an awesome way to build around because I mean the the idea of a robot and all the other themes and issues that are in these four pages that 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 just came from you. That didn't come from the story prompt at all. No, but that I find if someone says to me, "Right, you've got five pages. Write whatever you want," I sit there looking at a blank page, 
But if I get some criteria, and, and even better if I get a deadline, because I am like, you know, if you if you say you've got all the time in the world, I'll take all the time in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you say you've got a week, then then I'll do it. So I find, give me some criteria, give me some de- deadlines, and the ideas then form. Uh, otherwise, I'm just uh, I'm just clueless, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get to focus it. It's like you know a pond, water just sitting there versus channeling it into a river where it, it, it there's some force behind it. Yeah. Well, should we read? Go ahead and read Cyborn for yes, the listeners. Let's do that. Okay, um, Mark, we're gonna we're gonna turn your mic off for just a moment, and we will be back with you in a moment. We're anxious to read your work, Mark. Okay. Thanks Good. a lot. Hang on. Uh, listeners, today we're going to be reading these four pages in their entirety. Um, I will be doing all of our action headings, mm. and I, Jack will be doing... I'm going to be playing the robot character Brax, and along with his creator, Dr. Asmus. Okay, so listeners, um, if you're following along, turn the page at the, <laughs> at the right time. Just scroll. <laughs> and uh, Jack, you ready? Uh, yes, I am. Okay. Fade in. Exterior. Destroyed robotics factory. Outer courtyard. Day. Water drips from the rusty hinge of a Cyborn Industries sign. A drip falls past shattered windows and bricks riddled with bullet holes down onto the courtyard below. It lands amidst an angry mob bearing anti-android placards. A squirming sea of fist and fury. One of them raises up an artificial leg. Sparkling circuits and wires dangle from the severed limb. A roar of triumph from the mob. They parade around the courtyard in victory. A trail of blood, oil, wires, and circuits leads out of the courtyard through a hole in the wall. It ends at the entrance of a church as the doors slam shut. Interior, derelict church, moments later. A pew forms a makeshift barrier against the door. The trail continues up the center aisle, past crumbling walls until it reaches an android as he drags himself the final few feet before a broken altar. This is Brax. His skin has a distinct plastic gleam. From his pocket, he produces five worn dice. Brax's POV. Technical data and internal warnings scroll across the periphery of his vision. A power remaining timer counts down from two minutes and 45 seconds. Brax rolls the dice. The technical data is replaced by accessing random memory. Begin flashback. Interior, elevator, night. Brax looks as cool as an artificial cucumber with his shades and long black leather trench coat. Next to him is a female android. She has the body of a babe and the face of an ornate doll. This is doll face. Cowering behind them is a grubby young boy. Brax raises a finger at the boy. You stay here until we clear the area, okay? The boy nods. Brax winks at Dollface. You ready, Dollface? She raises two submachine guns. Brax produces a pair of his own as the elevator dings their arrival. The doors slide open. Brax and Dollface step out with guns blazing. Time seems to speed up to a blur. A message, reliving memory, blinks several times as the scene fades. End flashback. Brax rerolls the dice. Begin flashback. Interior, Cyborn Industries Laboratory. Day. Brax's vision is fuzzy. A young man with a dark mustache and kind eyes leans in close. This is Dr. Asmus. Hello, Brax. It is me, Dr. Asmus. Do you recognize me? Brax slaps Dr. Asmus hard with a metallic hand. Dr. Asmus slumps to the ground. 
Rubbing his chin, he laughs it off. <laughs> Scheiße. Well, they do say progress is painful, no? <laughs> Reset test. Let's start again. A message reliving memory blinks several times as the scene fades. End flashback. Brax's internal power timer goes under two minutes. He re-rolls the dice. Memory montage. Living room. The young boy plays Yahtzee with Brax. The boy rolls the dice. He lands a perfect five of a kind. Brax gives him a well-done fist bump. Hospital. Brax hands a newspaper over to a much older Dr. Osmos in a hospital bed. The headline reads, Synthetics win landmark equal rights case. Cyborn test lab. An early prototype of Brax walks confidently towards a stairwell and tumbles less than confidently down them. A young Dr. Osmos chases after him. Church. Brax and Dollface are getting married in a church that looks good as new. End montage. Interior, derelict church. Brax smiles as he rolls the dice one last time. He closes his eyes as he relives the memory. A single tear rolls down his shiny cheek. Brax's POV. Only a few seconds remain on the timer. A crash behind. He turns to see the mob bursting through the door. Brax gives them the finger. Turning back to the altar, he gives it the thumbs up. His vision starts to fade as he's hoisted into the air. It fades to black. A bright light appears. It expands outward until it fills his entire vision. Through the glare, Brax can see wispy shapes, like people walking toward him through a thick fog. A message appears, creating new memory. It blinks several times, then is replaced with accessing afterlife. Fade out. Ah, Mark, that is such a cool script. It's so efficient. It gets so much done. You you get to know these characters so quickly. I, I've got a million questions for you. Thank you so much for sending us your work. Oh, you're welcome. And, and to be honest, listening to you two guys read it out was was absolutely amazing. I'm feeling quite emotional here right now. Aww. <laughs> That's sweet. That's really nice. So the, it's it, it's so easy, I felt, when I was reading that, to picture – to it, the way you wrote it, it was very visually easy to, to, to comprehend, to play out in my head as I was reading it. Is that sort of a thing with your work? Do you Is your work that easy to picture all the time? I, I hope so. I mean, it didn't used to be, but I've been doing these little challenges for a few years now, and I, I actually spent the first – two or three years solely focusing on short scripts to try and force myself to to be as efficient uh, as possible. And, and even some of the scripts I've done has, has had no dialogue in, because I love dialogue, but uh, I found that if I, if I restrict myself, if I challenge myself, then and if I step outside my comfort zone, then the scripts get better. So I think that this is an extremely hopeful script. I mean, obviously this robot is dying, he's, le- he's reliving memories, he's, been, he's had his leg torn off and he's about to be torn to shreds, but at the end, even though he's giving the mob the finger, he turns and gives the thumbs up to God. Right. Uh, yeah. he, so no faith in humanity, but belief in a higher power, and, he, and it doesn't focus, the script doesn't focus on the themes of prejudice and hatred that are definitely there. It focuses on these memories that he's got and the way he's lived his life and then going into some kind of afterlife. I think that's a really interesting choice that you went for a more hopeful tone. What was the motivation behind that? Um, We do see a lot of TV programs and films where the negative side of humanity comes out and it is, you know, it's truthful, Um, but it's also, it, it can be a bit depressing sometimes. So I like to try and put a bit of hope in my stories, uh, not ignore the, the bad side, you know, acknowledge them. But with Brax, you know, he's lived this amazing life. He's had a, you know, he's had a really fruitful 
life. He's not just uh, sentient. He's, he's he's evolved, and he's he's actually evolved past far past that you know that that we 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 think that may be possible for artificial life. Um, and I love the idea of that. I love the idea of um, uh, you know a few bad apples not spoiling things. Yeah, even though even though it ultimately means he's he he's dying in front of everybody, he still maintains a a hope for for the beyond. Yeah, he's better than that, I and mean, you know he's fully deserved his place in this afterlife because you know he's he's an artificial being and he's quite strong and he's, and he and he and he's he's experienced in combat. He probably could have took some of those guys out with him, but he chose not to. I thought it was really interesting too, just the idea that this robot does have an afterlife. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you what that kind of afterlife looks like here and how it evolved in this world. Did somebody have to program him with an afterlife? Does he, did he program himself for an afterlife? You know, kind of that evolution of this idea. Well, I like the idea of people coming up with it themselves. You know, it could be that um, uh, the doctor has hidden that inside him to, so that he can access it when the time is right. It could be that he's programmed it in himself, or it could be that he's actually just evolved to such a point where the afterlife thinks he's ready and, and takes him in just because of the life he's led uh, and how he, how he ends his life. You know, so I like to leave it quite open. There may be other explanations out there that people who read the script can come up with. Uh, and I do love that when someone comes up with um, if they watch a film I've made, or if they if they read a script, and they point something out that I haven't even thought about, I love that when that happens. Yeah, I like the idea of maybe the robots creating their own afterlife as a way to go. But also, I mean, just in general, I don't want to force you into too much of like a religious corner or anything. But I mean, just the ideas that you're presenting here would imply, you know, the belief in soul, and maybe not even a soul in the way that you know we know it right now, as far as maybe just people. Even though you know animals, there's an argument there. But I mean, you're talking about a, a robot that th there's some sort of thing that lives on as far as as far as a belief for you. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, this, you know, we're on this spinning rock in the middle of, of vast space. And, the, you know, the, the amount of stars out there, there's more stars out there than there are grains of sand on this planet. Mm. So the idea that we've got everything sussed in our little meat sacks, um, you know, it's a, bit, it's a bit of a closed view. I like to keep my views as open as possible. Uh, you know, and I don't think of God as like this bearded guy who goes around uh, saying, bless you, my child. But, <laughs> you know... There's things out there uh, and we don't, you know, we, things that we probably can't comprehend. And I like to kind of like drop hints about that in my stories and stuff like that. Especially so this this robot who's gotten to this point that he will have an afterlife. Does your feature version of the story get into a bit more of how the robotics and the technology and the intellect have evolved? Especially in this one, you hint again at this like landmark equal rights case mm -hmm. for robots and i'm just interested because all of these little hints here are like massive chicken nuggets for a reader yeah. to really want to sink their teeth into and so i'm just really curious about what the expansion of that idea is and again in this world if it lives on in a bigger way in your mind well everything that's in that those four pages is is reflected in the feature in some way awesome. um with with him being a cyborg the way I've gone that way is the I'm, I'm exploring flesh uh, merged with with uh, artificial. Mm -hmm. um, so this virus it separates these two entities. So in the feature he's called Brax Dryden, uh, and Brax is the artificial intelligence, and Dryden is the human. Mm. Um, and at the beginning they're working together. You know they're merged, they're one entity. 
but the virus splits them into two, but they're, they're stuck in the same body. Um, they, they develop two distinct identities, um, but they have to start to learn to work together. Um, so I'm, I start exploring what it is to be a human um, and the rise of, of artificial intelligence and kind of what would happen if, we, if those two started to come together. Well, and also treating them as two different uh, entities that are stuck in the same body. Now you've got like a, almost a buddy cop. You, you've almost got like a buddy cop movie. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, they're having to solve these cases um, as two separate entities, but sharing the same body. And they used to work together. You know, they used to be seamlessly merged and now they're separated. So um, Dryden has to learn like how to trust his instincts again and his human emotions um, because Brax is slowly shutting down. The virus is, is de-evolving him as the film goes on. So as, that, as, as the feature progresses, Dryden has to take over more and more and it becomes more desperate. Um, and Dollface is in it, um, and, and, and all those characters that are in the, the, the short are in it, uh, and the flashbacks are in it. Um, but this is more of like the virus eating away at him rather than him running out of power and dying. I think it's so great. I think you had a really good well to, to tap into and to draw from from these four pages to expand it out. I, I think that's great. Yeah, it's been it's been um, it's quite been quite um, it's been quite an experience, and I've enjoyed it so much. Um, but this year I've decided that I'm going to turn it into a novel uh, and I've written the first 10,000 words. I'm oh, hoping wow. to do between 70 and 80,000. So by the end of this year, I'll have the short, I'll have the feature and I'll have the novel. And then hopefully because, you know, sci-fi is expensive and it's hard to get to get deals on these things. But with those three done and dusted, I could I could approach all three and see if, uh, you know, see if I can make something happen with them. You get the breakfast cereal and the action figure and uh, the bed sheets and everything else. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it seems like, and this kind of, I mean, honestly, writing it in a lot of different ways seems like your wheelhouse here. You know, you're used to writing lots of different things just for the challenge of it. So are you worried at all about writing the novel version of this, even though you do have a bit of the, you know, the verbiage, the wordage in your in your back pocket to say? Uh, I've always wanted to write a novel, and I, I started off when I was writing these spoofs with people in it. You know, I thought, oh, I'll write a novel, but then I realized how long it would take to write a novel and how difficult it was to get published. And I thought, you know what, writing screenplays might be easier, but I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but during, over the years, I've carried on writing prose, um, and I was lucky enough last year to get several short stories published. Um, and it was that, along with the, the ideas I had for Brax, that I thought, you know, now that I've got a few stories published, um, and I know I've got the full screenplay, the full feature screenplay written, why not have a go at adapting that for a novel and, and, and use it as another challenge, as another writing exercise? And to, do you know what? Um, again, I'm writing it in the style of Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams, mm. um, and I'm absolutely loving it. You know, I'm sitting down, the words are just coming out easily. Um, I'm loving the experience. Um, and that's, that's at the end of the day, I write because I love it. Mm-hmm. If I didn't love it, I wouldn't do it. Um, and I'm really loving doing this. And I am working on other projects. You know, I've got a few films in post-production and pre-production and that's nothing to do with Cyborn. Um, but at the moment, Cyborn's my passion and I'm really enjoying um, writing the novel and promoting the feature as much as I can. So I had some. I, I had a thought as I was reading this, and I, I, I want to get your take because on this show we like to get into you know the writer and sort of their the way that they have come up in the world and their thoughts about things. And I, as I was reading your script, I was 
starting to think about what is it about science fiction specifically that like inherently lends itself to making commentary about current society, something that's set in the future, but you're able to, like, say, take the the racism and the prejudice that these people have and apply it to, say, robots instead of other races or, you know, any other kind of minority. What is it about science fiction that sort of lends itself to making commentary about current society? Have you, have you thought about that at all? Yeah, I mean, if you go back to the original Star Trek, you know, the Gene Roddenberry 1960s series, that was very much making statements about things today in a world where you really couldn't make direct statements about things in the world today without causing some sort of uh, trouble for yourself. So science fiction and, and fantasy in, in a way as well is a way of entertainment, which also has kind of like hidden messages about what's going on today. So, you know, you may upset someone if you I mean, there's the amount of arguments that may be going on in America right now about Trump. Uh, so people might avoid even talking about it. But if you can somehow get some of the reasoning behind what's going on in America in a very entertaining uh, like uh, genre like science fiction. You know, you can focus on the fun and the action and all the, the mad special effects that's going on. But then there's these little nuggets of things that's going on that say like, do you know what? This makes me feel like this is real because that thing's going on there today. I've seen that on the news. Mm. And I, I just think it's a way of, um, of kind of like pushing... Um, various ideas and commentary about life in general, but in a in a more accessible, maybe even softer way. Yeah. It's almost hard to imagine something that's like science fiction related that doesn't have some sort of commentary and that is just like a straight outer space adventure or whatever. Like there's there's usually some sort of subtext figured in there in general. You know, you mentioned the old 60s Star Trek, and which I think is an interesting parallel with your work in that that 60s Star Trek set in the future, hundreds of years in the future, and it wasn't there was nothing dis- I mean, it wasn't a dystopian future. It was a very hopeful, hey, we figured it out as a society and now we're going out and we're yeah, there's still some struggles and we're always going to have stuff to deal with, but like we got our stuff together on earth and that was and in your script here in Cyborn, you're focusing on sort of the hopeful elements of Brax's life. I think there's there's an interesting parallel there. Yeah, and Gene Roddenberry obviously he saw the war and he, he was a bomber in World War Two. Yeah. And he just wanted to see, you know, he wanted to focus on the good side of humanity because it is the, I mean, the dystopian sci-fi is really in at the moment. Um, I mean, I even wrote a, a sci-fi, a dystopian sci-fi TV series last year called The Nearscape mm-hmm. um, because I just wanted to explore that side of it. Um, but, you know, you, you meet people on a daily basis and, you know, they usually, there's a lot of good in them and there's a lot of fine, good examples out there. It's just that the bad stuff, the negative stuff makes the headlines. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like try and remind people of that when, when I'm writing my stories. And I always try and put something hopeful and put a positive spin on things, even if it's a quite a dark subject. I understand that. And I thought it was really neat how, um, you know, we have Brax and these moments that are flashing before his eyes are very relatable. They're things that a human being is going to could potentially see moments before they died. And I actually wanted to ask about these specific choices, especially mm. the little boy, who this little boy is and how he plays into the larger story here. Yeah, I assumed he's human. Yeah, I did too actually. Okay. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I mean I deliberately I do have backstories for all these, but obviously I don't have time in the script to explore them fully. So I'm hopefully people can pick up on. So this idea was that um Brax and Dollface rescued this boy um, and then they go on to adopt him and he becomes kind of like their surrogate son. 
Yeah, that's great. That's really cute. Is the idea of him, I, I, obviously the dice and there's the Yahtzee memory, but just the idea of rolling the dice and playing a random, is that is that a play on the idea of random access memory? Yeah, so uh, because I am a computer nerd, I do know that <laughs> he uses the dice to generate some numbers that he then uses to select a memory from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really sweet. And it's all playing out. Yeah, you know, again, like his life's flashing before his eyes. Just right, to, you know, just join. like it could for somebody just that like was, person. yeah. So you talked about how uh, this was your your you've you've expanded it into a feature, but I think before we started the show, Allison mentioned something to me about also has this been adapted into a comic book? Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like it's been adapted into everything. It'll be Cyborg the Musical next. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, I'm Brax. I'm Brax. I'm Brax. I got nothing. There. You have to use your robot voice when you sing, though. This is Doctor Singh when you use the robot voice. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, someone um, uh, spotted it on my website, and um, they run this this um, this website that specializes in Flash comics, which is like oh, yeah. comics trying to tell an entire story in three pages. So obviously with Cyborg being four pages, they asked if they could adapt that, and I said yes. Um, and they've turned it into a three-page comic, and it looks gorgeous, and they've kind of like captured the essence of it, I think, very well. Well, and I like as you know, we said early on. I thought that the script was really easy for a visual to to play out as I was reading it visually. Uh, and, and now, if nothing else, now you got a few panels of storyboard. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is, it's like three pages is quite quick. But if you treat it like a storyboard, I can very. Someone was interested in the script, they can have a look at that, and then they can be like, oh yeah, here's the possibilities. Yeah. What was it like, you know, handing off your little script to someone to just interpret? It was tricky because uh, I'm no script. I'm no, sorry, I'm no comic writer, um, and that is a that is a fine art trying to take something and make it fit into panels. Yeah. So I kind of I had to let Cyborg go, and I had to trust that this guy could do it and interpret it his way. Um, and I really like what they've done. I mean, I probably would have done it differently because I would have probably tried to fit way too much in those panels. <laughs> yeah. Where, you know, and I'm pretty good at being lean, but doing it in three pages of a comic with with only with restricted panels on each page, that takes some skill. Well, do you want to give it a plug? Give the uh, give the artist, the other collaborators, a plug on this. Where can people find it if it's anywhere? It's called Hyperepics. Uh, Hyperepics.com. Uh, all the comics on there are free. They've got loads. They've got two of mine. One's called Cyborn, and, and the other one's called The Survivor. Um, that Survivor is based on that TV series that I wrote last year called The Near Escape. Okay. Um, and, and they're open for submissions as well. You know, if you've got a really short story that's, um, that you think will, will look well visually, uh, just, just get in touch with them uh, and they'll take it from there. We're going to definitely have to link that up on our site because that seems like a great opportunity. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I dig that a lot. So what do you think are the next steps? You know, you're working on the novel. You have the feature. What, kind of where, what are you going to be doing, let's say, the next time you sit down to work on this project? Lin-Manuel Miranda's. Is, is consulting on the musical right <laughs> yeah yeah we'll probably get get zombies involved now next mm-hmm. and uh, sure uh, no uh, so yeah i'm going to be focusing on the novel i want to try and get the um the novel finished this year um the feature's kind of like done for now i've got it i have got it with um a couple of directors that, that that's on the consider pile for this year um so if they get back in touch with me and they want to move ahead then i'll pick it up again uh, and I've got it entered into all the big writing competitions, you know, like Page and Austin and things like that. So um, and the Nicole Fellowship. So I'm just going to see how it does in, in those. Um, see if it if it if it if it manages to get through to the final stages. That'll be great. 
Yeah, I mean, you're just trying to get it out there and get it noticed at this point. I think that's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because, yeah, as I said before, sci-fi, sci-fi is, is expensive. I've picked one of the most expensive genres to, to focus on at the moment. Uh, and I'm not a big known known name. So I know these things, um, um, you know, the, 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 the dice, so to speak, yeah. the Yahtzee dice are against me. Um, but that's not going to stop me from trying because it's my passion and I love it and I believe in it, you know. I mean, that's just so it's really great. It's really heartwarming to hear you talk about this in a way that you really love it, because we do get so many writers who are like a little bit, you know, you can get beaten down by how hard writing in the industry is. And I'm I'm really inspired by your love for this. And I think that that reads a lot in this script, particularly. So, again, thank you so much for sharing it with us. Yeah, you're brightening up our morning, Mark. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Well, I used to, you know, I used to be that way. I used to be fearful. I used to think it's too hard and not to try. And then just something happened around about 2013, 2014. It's a bit like a, a born again type thing. And I just thought, you know what? Let's at least try. Uh, and I've loved trying so far. What happened in 2013 or 2014? Um, well, I, I kind of like had a bit of a thing going on in my life and um, it wasn't doing me any good and I decided to make a few changes um, cut out a few things in my life that was, that was pretty toxic for myself um, and it took me about a year to to come out of all that and then when I did um, I suddenly had a lot of energy and I had a lot of uh, I had a lot less fear um, and uh, I just thought you know this this thing that I've loved all my life and I've been too afraid to try writing why not why not pick it up and, and, and start giving it a go so I did yeah sounds like you've just been like you know hitting the ground running since then well it sounds like whatever whatever the decision was it sounds like it was the right call if you're in this place now where you're making things and you're i mean you're you've got your finger you got you've got a lot of plates spinning man and it sounds like it's all really positive stuff for you yeah i mean i'm doing some crazy stuff like last week i was down in london on this um screenwriter immersion course called talent campus and i was doing things like pitching with a tarantula on my hand um, walking on glass. I did a fire walk for charity. You're crazy. <laughs> All crazy stuff to bring me out of my shell. I'm just a crazy Brit, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's all about bringing you out of your shell and making the best version of yourself. And and we did some writing as well. It wasn't just, uh, you know, shooting fire hours at me. It was all like, um, it, it was like there was writing focused stuff. But it's just, I'm not going to let fear stop me anymore. I'm not going to say no just because I'm afraid. I'm going to say yes and, and just try. Wow, there yeah, we go. That's the best. Mark Renshaw, that's awesome. Yeah. I love it. So if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, if you check out my website, uh, www.mark-renshaw.com. Um, I had to put the dash in the middle because Mark Renshaw is a, a quite a famous cyclist. Oh. Uh, and he, he keeps stealing all my glory. Yeah. <laughs> so mark-renshaw.com. My website's there. It's got some short scripts which you can read. Uh, it's got information about my TV series, um, Cyborn the Feature, and some of the stories that I've published. Plus, there's some links to some, some films that I've produced, some short films I've produced, uh, and some table reads, including uh, a Doctor Who ep- episode that has got a table read on there, mm. uh, and some other stuff. Uh, and, and also, there's a link on there to contact me direct if you want to discuss anything further. Perfect. So we will definitely uh, have a link there to mark-renshaw.com for people to uh, check out your stuff. Yeah, great. And we'll have that on scriptshopshow.com. Mark, thank you so much for sending us your work. Thank you for your time. Uh, really enjoyed talking to you. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for this interview. It's been, it's been brilliant. Awesome. Thank you. There we go. There's Mark. That was great. That was really great. I, I do love how hopeful he is. It's, yeah. like the, it's like the best start to the morning.
I know, right? Yeah. The best part of waking <laughs> up is Mark Renshaw in, in your, your ears. <laughs> <laughs> what if he was just like this tiny person yeah. in my coffee cup right now? You know, he also talked about how he's he's got the name in common with the cyclist. <laughs> yeah. It made me think of that part in Office Space, how the one guy's name is Michael Bolton, and they ask him why he doesn't change his name, and he goes, why should I? He's the one who sucks. <laughs> Such a good line. It's one of my favorite lines. Uh, I I saw someone at the brewery last name named Michael Scott. Oh, geez. Yeah, which of course is an office. Yeah, or not an office. Yeah, yeah it is that's the, office. the office. Yeah, who knows what our brands are doing this morning? Let's get back to like gushing about this script. Let's get back to gushing about the script. It was great. Uh, please, if you have not read it yet, check it out. Scriptshopshow.com slash scripts. You can read Cyborn and then go to Mark's website and see how it's being expanded into all sorts of other storytelling medium. Yeah, um, and I really was impressed that he does so much with this story. Yeah. You know, he pushes it into a lot of different mediums there, which is really neat. It covers a ton of ground, and it was super cool, and we were very happy to have Mark on. If you have written something that covers a, a certain amount of ground, whether or not it's a, a lot, that's up to you because it's your writing. We'd love for you to send it in to us, and you can do that by going on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. Send us your work. Also, if you include in your message uh, the term hot burrito, that's our phrase that pays, and we will mm-hmm. uh, that will move you to the front of the line. We'll read your stuff quicker and uh, consider you for the show because that means you've given us a try, so we want to give you a try, too. That's right. So uh, until next week, listeners, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by Bensound.com. Outro music by Purple-Planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.